Women actually apologize to be in connection. That is something that we yearn for, and so we apologize differently to men as well. So men will say, I said I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and then we go like, ah, oh, that doesn't work for me. Whereas women will say, I'm really sorry that I made you feel less than. That wasn't my intention. So there, there's, a little, there's a little tweak in the way that we actually say things. And what we do is we teach the tools of how to apologize properly where somebody doesn't turn around and say, that your apology doesn't work for me. And, and that's just one example of Are we going to so start doing ways, that in the office? So when Alexis is like, Matt, I'd just like to apologize. Um, what I really meant was... So what we're going to teach is you how to apologize yeah, first, and yeah. then they can follow your lead. I didn't apologize. Okay. Yeah, but there you go. Right? And so that's that. the first challenge. <laughs> and so... The- <laughs> they say you shouldn't swim with sharks, but today we're going to do just that. So you get work and you get play and you'd think that both require very different attitudes and approaches. But what if I told you that you could approach both with a more wholesome and well-rounded philosophy for happier and more effective outcomes? Gavin Moffat is a successful South African entrepreneur, scuba diver and marketing and communications expert. He is also the author of Swimming with Sharks, a book about guidelines on how to survive and thrive in today's business world with a strong mentality and a smile on your face. With a healthy attitude towards learning, Gavin takes us on a journey of self-discovery and reflection. The journey ultimately leads to a mindset that adapts to the changes in your working and everyday life, giving you the tools to work in a team, analyze, reflect, and adapt. Follow myself and Gavin into this exciting episode for a happier and more effective way to work and play. So without further ado, enter Gavin Moffat. How's it, guys? Welcome back to another cracking installment of The Matt Brown Show. Today, I am joined by the international best-selling author, Gavin Moffat. I really wish I was. (laughs) Number one best-seller on Amazon, people. Round of applause. Uh, from your mouth to the buyer's ears. Yes, exactly. Well, this is why we're here today, right? <laughs> um, so the book is entitled, uh, this year book, it's called uh, Swimming with Sharks, Simple Business Guidelines for a Complex World. Interesting. Swimming with Sharks. Most people wouldn't like that. Why'd you go with that title? Uh, it's actually a great analogy, uh, and it's an analogy uh, around two different things. One is obviously sharks in a business context. I mean, that's what the Swimming with Sharks is about. And because the book is simple bi- business guidelines for a, a complex world, uh, the business aspect worked. And the second part is because I love scuba diving. Uh, I love swimming with sharks, and in fact, we've done a bunch of um, different dives with sharks. So it's something I love doing, and I, I, I guess it's also a curiosity thing. Uh, so people see the title and they go, what the hell is that about? And hopefully they read the next line, Simple Business Guidelines. They go, oh, and then it intrigues them. Uh, but I think that most people don't want to swim with sharks. No, why, why would you voluntarily want to swim with sharks? I, I would, though. I you would? would? I have, would. Have you not yet? No, actually. Oh. It's on my bucket list. Fantastic. Can someone add it on my list? <laughs> <laughs> But um, but very good. I we have a lot of mutual friends as well. The least of which we have the same publisher. But there was one particular quote here by Rich Mulholland mm. somewhere in this book, um, who has also quoted on the front cover of my book. Interestingly, but um, but basically, he was saying this is one of the most powerful, insightful books uh, in about entrepreneurship slash business that he's ever read. So we're going to dive into that specifically. Um, what's really 
interesting from from my perspective is that this isn't just a simple take on based on an experience that you had or you know it's actually a culmination of like how many years 20 25 years it's nearly 30 years 30 years of business right Mm. so so but let's get some ground rules going here (laughs) why did you write this book why what compelled you to do it so the funny thing was that this book wasn't specifically written this was a combination initially of a bunch of different things that i've written over the last 10 years and that in itself wasn't compelling enough so i wrote a whole bunch of additional content uh, and the idea for putting it all together was, of course, um, a woman's idea because they come up with so many amazing ideas. And in this case, it was actually my wife and business partner's idea, which I initially ignored and went, what a crap idea. Uh, I left it for three days, came back to it and went, you know, I've got this great idea for a book. <laughs> Um, and, and so, <laughs> and she also happens to be here. Uh, she does happen to be here. So it was, uh, it was initially supposed to just be a compendium of stuff, but it wasn't compelling enough. So what I did was I built a golden thread around an analogy between my love of life, which is scuba diving and the things that you do around scuba diving and then combine that with my business experience. And it was never meant to be a ABCs of business. Who cares? There's a thousand books written about that. What it's meant to be is a view of my life experiences put into simple, easy to read chapters based on sections. And it takes people from everything from starting a business to running a business to the morals involved in running a business to having fun to one of the chapters is about recharging your battery. You know, we've got, we've got a world where everyone believes that working 12 hours a day is the single most important thing. And we measure each other on that. And if you look at Donald Trump, that's exactly what he does is he talks about how hard you work, all the effort you put in. Well, actually, it's about the results you produce, not the time you put in. So, I mean, a chapter is in there is around how do you reward yourself for all the hard work that you put in? And that hard work doesn't have to be 12 hours a day. It's interesting. I don't know what that reward is. That's like for myself. I don't know. You don't know how to reward yourself? No, like it used to be uh, drugs and alcohol, but now yeah. it's like none of and that. And so that's gone. Now, now what do you do? Now, I don't You're starting actually CrossFit? Know. CrossFit, yeah, probably. Okay. I don't, but I don't like, it's almost like, it's funny because it's a weird paradigm as an entrepreneur. At least it is for me in the mm-hmm. sense of you don't f- feel like you either have the time necessary to reward oneself mm-hmm. or you feel like you don't deserve it. Mm. It's interesting. Isn't it the second one that you find more often? Because that was one of my biggest challenges was I don't deserve it. The other part, which is a third part, is uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, from the beginning of Microsoft, so what was that, 1976, 77? Uh, until 1992, Bill Gates never had more than one week off from work. The reason he started having more time off was he met Melinda. And when they were engaged, she said, I want to go and see what we can do with all of this huge, I'm paraphrasing, all of this huge amount of money we have in Africa. And so they went and spent two weeks in Africa. It was the first time he had two weeks off. So the other side is entrepreneurs can be so busy that they're focused solely on their goal of growing, of uh, changing, of getting close to customers, and that's all that's important. At a certain point, you get a shift and you go, so what really is important? Now, I've built a business. If you're Bill Gates, I'm super rich. What do I do with all this money? I mean, the thing that blows my mind is that Bill Gates retired at 58. 58. That's quite late, because eh? he was minted like way younger than that. Yeah, way younger. Um, but he retired at 58, which seems late. But I think it took him that long because he's a bit of a control freak to kind of let go. Um, and I really use him as a role model because the stuff that he does now is phenomenal. I mean, imagine running, having so many businesses that one of the things you're trying to, uh, that you're trying to do that you struggle with is how do I get these medicines 
into countries that have really high average temperatures and very little electricity and therefore no fridges? How do you get medicine that needs to be kept cold? So one of his companies then did some research and developed a cool box that will keep medicine cold for six weeks off one square small block of ice. So now they've solved how to get these medicines to all of these places that have no fridges. And that's the kind of thing that I think is really cool. And he loves it enough to push people to invent that kind of stuff. Which is, it raises an interesting question. It's like, why aren't you finding reward every day? Do you know what I mean? Because you kind of, it's like the same thing where you say, you know, when I sell the business for a hundred million dollars, mm. then I'm going to take right, so that thing. So you the can, the reward can down, down the, road. the road. So, so what reward do you find every day? What do you see? Growing these ninja warriors, yeah, legit. Like I dig Mondays, I dig, or Sunday nights. Actually, I used to hate Sundays. Mm. You know, because like you get the Sunday night depression. It's like, <laughs> oh God, I got to go and do this thing I hate. Yeah, um, and now being now, like I dig it. Uh, you know what I mean? It's you're like, coming into this team, and it's really fulfilling. <clears throat> yeah, every single day. I don't. It's but it defines. I suppose you got to quantify what does reward mean. Right. Do you know what I mean? And and so that's one of the questions that I tend to ask clients often. Is I say to them, what does winning look like? So you guys won an award recently. Congrats. Thank that's, you. Very, very cool. Well done, team. That was awesome. Um, clap, clap it's a really, yourselves. It's clap a really yourselves. amazing thing to win in such a such a new organization. So, one of the things that I would say is, how did you feel at winning that? I don't know. Let's. Where's Maverick? Maverick, come. You can answer that one. Turn your mic on there, bro. You can actually get Sonal and and Caleb as a Caleb as well. Do you want to come? Just do it. Come on, test match. How did you guys guess. feel? Was, was, was that like a reward for you? It was. It was. And tell me what you felt when they announced because it was a lot of screaming going on. Yeah, I was. I was. Oh, you watched the video. I was, I was, I was <laughs> drunk, but I imagine a lot of emotions went through it. It was, it was a lot of hard work put into that award. Okay. So I'm sure. Okay. Share your thoughts. Took you an hour, bro. <laughs> Legitimately, it took you one. I was like, "Okay, do it now." <laughs> like it was done. Okay, well, apparently I just got up and then I didn't even realize it, but I started crying. She was Fantastic. crying. And, and, and the, was the emotion was for what reason? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I don't know. I was just super proud of us because I was. I started when it was just Mav and Matt in a cottage mm-hmm. to this. Okay, which so quite an, quite an achievement. Yeah, because okay. I've seen this place grow quickly. Awesome. <laughs> Very quickly. Awesome. Cool. Last comment from a conversion specialist. So I wasn't drunk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. It was just seeing all the hard work that you put in. 
um, come to life, basically. You know, mm. we got up there, we won an award. It felt kind of surreal until we were sitting down and we could actually process it to actually find out what's happening. Mm. Um, it, is just, it is a nice feeling to be recognized for mm. something that we've put time and money into. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that's one of the ways in which people can get a reward. You were talking about how do I get my rewards? So if that's part of your winning, that's awesome. So one of the questions I ask people is, so if I told you you'd won, what would that look like? What would that feel like? What would have happened in order for you to win? Because otherwise, how the hell do you know when you've won? And that's part of the challenges that people have. Simon Sinek talks about something which is a finite goal and an infinite goal. So the finite goal is a short-term thing, and an infinite goal is like your big, hairy, audacious goal vision thing. And you need to have those finite, small goals in order to have something to achieve in the short term so that you can have that reward and that win for doing the work that you do. Because the work that you do may be hard. It may be long hours. uh, It may take a lot of strain. And so you need to have short-term rewards, whatever that might be. And in some organizations, the reward might be as simple as, I don't know, you know, somebody goes to Furnos and buys everyone samosas. Or milk tart. Or uh... milk tart. As Alexis, I didn't know what was in the Furnos container. Ruining my motivation for CrossFit. Ruining it. So whatever your whatever your reward is, and different people have different rewards, and it's important to understand from from a team perspective what are their rewards, what are their hot buttons for for winning. Uh, And I think a lot of people don't do that. They don't understand what does winning look like. What does winning look like for you now? I mean, if you look back thirty years, and we'll dive into what you're doing now with hers and his and. Mm. We'll have a chat to your lovely, gorgeous partner there um, around specifically what you're doing in that space because I think ethics as a subject is just so relevant today mm. and will be more relevant in the next like immediate few years mm. with the exponential technology and stuff. But I mean, what does success look like for you now? I mean, you've spent 30 years in business. You've culminated in this book. Like what is, you know, flipping the tables here, what does success look like for you? Now? So the, the funny thing is it does, it's not about success, so people will have a look at the book and go, wow, you're really successful. You've got a book. It's just a book. The the successful for me would be, by the way, if you all bought a copy and it was number one on New York Times bestseller, that's what success Where would look like. Where can you buy it again? Everywhere. Right? Uh, everywhere. Um, it's Kim, uh, Kindle, um, Amazon, uh, exclusive books everywhere. Uh, so success for me now is different from what it used to be when I was younger. It's a lot less stuff-oriented. It used to be stuff-oriented. So I used to want stuff to show that I was successful in some kind of way. So a, a recent success f- for me would have been, I've always loved music. Um, I, I, I was telling a story to a bunch of high school kids, did an Entrepreneur Day talk, which was awesome. And I got 16, 17-year-olds in the room. And I, I, I said to them, so the first time I, I bought a record was – and and I could see they were all going a, a record. I was what like, is that, that vinyl thing? The plastic. <laughs> oh, they all know what vinyl is. And and the the first time I bought one was in 1979, 1980, and it was Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants. Um, and since then I've loved music. And so success for me was uh, four years ago. I released two music EPs. Now I have no musical making capability. I can't play a piano. Can't play guitar, can't play drums, diddly squat. What I can do is I can mess around with synthesizers and sampling and a whole bunch of stuff around there. And last year, I released a full-length album, uh, which is out on Amazon, Google, iTunes. That's success for me because it's something I have always wanted to do. uh, And I'm busy creating the next one. And as I want to, I'll carry on doing that. Success for me is completing something physical that I've never been able to do. Um, I've also gone through quite a physical change in the last 15 months. I went from being uh, what I refer to as fat Gavin to the sexy Gavin that you see in front of you. So hot right now. Uh, 
Someone turn the aircon on. Tell you what. Um, And I'm being facetious with that, but I've gone from that Gavin to this Gavin. And for me, that's a major success. Uh, Starting this new business uh, with uh, Ingrid called Hers and His is a major success because for the first time in a long time, I found something that I love doing. And so I haven't succeeded with that business, but starting it is a success. And so I think those kind of successes are important because it's the journey that matters, not the end result. That's that's basically such a great point to land on because <clears throat> I think if you if you spend so much time and energy like chasing success, what the fuck does that actually mean? And inevitably, by the time you get that thing, you don't know what like you're miserable because you you finally realize that you didn't need the the, the seven figures bank account. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all the dumb shit that you buy in the process of getting that shit mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. So actually, it is purely all about the journey. And I love what you touched on there about that transformation piece because. Mm-hmm. That that's really what like I encourage all my my entire team to leave at one stage or another when they're ready to go and work for themselves because you'll learn things here but you'll transform exponentially faster working for yourself. You know what I mean? It's like um, Keegan here has gone off to work for himself, which is fantastic. Cat's also gone and left to work for himself also, and that's really the the, the whole thing for me, which is about becoming. Mm. You know, becoming something different every day because mm. it's like the, the dude that you are today, the Gavin that you were 18 months ago and the Gavin that you are mm. now, right? They're fundamentally different people, weirdly, mm. because you almost don't recognize yourself, you know, that person that you were before. It's nuts. And that's a really good point because it is that journey that you also have to take stock of. So one of the things I don't do particularly well is regret. I'm not great on regretting stuff, but what I am good at doing is trying to create perspective on where I am now. Um, so I've never been a physical, uh, physically active person. I hated, I mean, I hated sports at high school, literally hated, didn't do. And so most of my life I've played a little bit of squash, but that's it. I don't do physically active. And so up until the point I decided to lose all the weight, I had done some mountain biking and some cycling on the road. But to be honest, my gut was so fat that it was in the way of my legs pedaling. Uh, yeah. And if you, if you ride around, you'll see guys that are that overweight, that it's a real challenge. And so now I'm in a position where that is a joy in life. That's a success factor in life. That is something I'm really interested in. That's something I'm chasing. And so 15 months later, I'm a different person from what I was then. And the journey and the retrospect looking back and getting context is really important. But you don't get that if you stay and do the same thing all the time. That's what happens. If you stay in one organization, you may be really happy And you may be on a journey, but you're not going to get the change that uh, initiates you becoming the person that you may want to be. Why don't people make that jump though? I mean, if you, I mean, if they're. Because it's scary as crap. Yeah, but is that everything? Yes. Is that that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Where Where does confidence come into that or belief in oneself? I think fear is part of it. I don't think it's like the 90 percent of it you know what i'm saying yeah i do do you think that most people are self-confident though no okay so they're groomed for they're groomed to think that they're not worthy of what successes they see peddled in the media and on the front covers of entrepreneur mag or our school system produces is a sausage factory and it produces particular types of uh, people who go into university in a particular type of education system to come out the other side and into a job that's actually been um, predicted by the um, corporates back into the university so the whole thing is a sausage factory which doesn't breed self-confidence it doesn't breed people who are different I mean one of the things you said earlier is interesting 
I think that the world can benefit from more entrepreneurs, but I'm not a believer that everyone can be an entrepreneur at all. I've been doing this long enough. I've seen enough people to know that some people need to work. I refer to um, those type of people as worker bees. And it's literally like a beehive, and it's not an insult at all. You need people in an organization who dig following a leader and work their butts off when they believe in that leader, believe in the cause, believe in the company. You need people who work. So not everyone can be an entrepreneur, and quite frankly should be. But we can all think entrepreneurially. And I think that's the difference for me. If we started creating an education system throughout school, high school, university, that allowed people to think entrepreneurially, then we'd have people with a lot more sense of self-confidence. But I think that that self-confidence is a big issue when it comes to changing jobs. If you want to get a new job, if you want to move on, you have to believe in yourself and your value and your self-worth to shop yourself around and look to say, geez, I'm worth twice as much as I currently earn. Let me go and find either that money or... I really dig that job. It's three levels above where I currently am, but I deserve that. I think self-confidence is a huge thing, and I don't think that we breed self-confidence as a nation, really. But I love – yeah, so two things. One, it's like anyone can be an entrepreneur, but it's not for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to have, to your point, you have to have a certain personality. Mm. That's actually wrong. You have to have a certain type of character to be – to sustain that. Mm. And so I hear you there, but I also think that um, we need to slip something in the side, which is almost the foundation of that, which is not everyone has the upbringing that enables them to be that entrepreneur that everyone should be able to be. Mm. So if you get brought up in a household, for example, that has some degree of privilege, so you have parents that are well-connected, they're senior business people, and by the way, they have a library. A library in the house, so books in the house, 50 or more books in a house are a predictor of success in business. We need to buy some more books from the office. I see no books, no shelves of books on. So it's one of those things where if you've got these things, you are more capable of thinking entrepreneurially because you will have some kind of inculcated entrepreneurial thinking or business thinking or something from your parents. If, however, you don't have that privilege, you don't have those kind of parents that are high-powered, you, you're not going to have access to that as easily. So I think that that's an important thing, particularly considering where we are from a South African perspective. We need to remember that not everyone has access to that. Yeah, right, white privilege and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of it has to do with um, – I think white privilege is part of that conversation. It's not the conversation. Mm. It's the conversation that we come from centuries of um, socioeconomic issues. Those haven't been dealt with quickly enough. So you still have generations coming up that don't have the same opportunities that other people do. White privilege is, is a very small part of that conversation, but it's an important part when it comes to um, what white people generally have access to that uh, people of color in South Africa don't. I want to go back to the schooling thing because yes. for me, it's to your point, it's either you're being, it's exposure, right? It's like either you're exposed to your parent, like my son and my daughter, you know, they will 100% work for themselves. Like at least I'm going to do as much as I can to encourage that to happen. <laughs> you know, freedom of choice. Freedom of choice. My, that's exactly. Now you sound like my wife. They will do whatever they want to do. And blah, blah. <laughs> Don't you back and tell them what to do. Bro. You know, she always makes me level headed and grounded, but we'll see who wins. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess your wife, just, just to put it she out there. She doesn't listen to the show, so you know what I'm saying. But, um, but, it, for me, it's, but again, it's like this exposure thing. And the schooling thing is, like you said, it's, a, it's like a, a production line for, 
for for a time where it was great to go out and get a job mm-hmm. you know and so like that whole things like literally becoming so non-defunct it's scary so there was a report i read so we launched something called the the dreamers dojo as a podcast from a couple episodes ago so basically the the story based it was similar to your story where you were speaking to 16 year old 17 year old so it was a school grace trinity right so grace trinity college here there was an article in entrepreneur mag basically saying i you know could you build the business niche down whatever and they said please can you come and speak to our students Mm. about who are studying business and you know just have a like a nice chat and see so you went there whatever and it was like you know it was just you you start to see actually what they're being groomed for one and two what they're not being exposed to Mm. which is the realities Mm. of actually okay so you you're being groomed to you know become a business leader and Mm -hmm. whether you're going to corporates or whether you're going to work for yourself like that whole thing is just you know and i'm mainly talking about the people who want to work for themselves but Mm. it's like they're like business plans you know it's like great well you know they're theoretical exercises and thinking mean shits in the real world you know and but i spoke a lot about the the person you know and failure it's like school you're taught failures bad like if you don't get an a your shit and your and then i also another thing i love but what you said is that you, you, they, you we're not breeding the youth for for being different no and, do you know what i mean like that that's no. the whole thing and so have you seen sir ken robinson's uh, ted talk on exactly that mm. how he talks about how the schooling system breeds creativity out of kids his talk is amazing. It's one of, scary, it's one of the yeah. top 10 uh, talks. Amazing. All time, You're 100% yeah. right. Yeah. It's scary. So this Dreamers Dojo thing is to help like provide Did structured intervention. Okay. Yeah, very simply, it's, um, it's a structured intervention. It's yeah. basically delivered over three days where we expose kids to exponential relevance as an idea. What does that mean? How do you, how do you remain relevant in a world that's being – going back to the reporter, I kind of jumped around there. But um, – there's a McKinsey Global Institute report, legit. Yeah. One billion jobs, right, in the next 10 years are going to be automated. Yeah. That's one-fifth of the world's fucking workforce, dude. Gone. Do you know what I mean? And, you've, and you've got a schooling system that's a production line of, for, of irrelevance. Yep. Irrelevance in thinking, irrelevance in skill sets. And so no wonder you're sitting, you know, and this is why going back to other points around entrepreneurs, you know, and I suppose at a state level, I mean, the other day I was at the UK High Commissioner's place for dinner with a whole bunch of other people talking about how to spend two billion pounds in the ecosystem here in tech to help solve this fucking problem, right? Yeah. Um, but it is such a big deal. And I keep, and you know, what I love about this book is that it's a, it's a, it's a product of knowledge capital that's mm. unique to you. Mm. And, and equally, you know, like I don't have 30 years of business experience. I don't think. Hold them on. No, I don't. You got 10 years of me, but still I'm sitting on like knowledge capital also. And so right. it, we all do. And so the whole reason for doing it was to encourage other entrepreneurs and business leaders. Like I don't give a shit how you do it but yeah. do something because like you i think you underestimate how how needed it is yep. do you know what i mean i couldn't agree more so uh, this particular school i went and did the chat at they had a whole entrepreneurial day with a bunch of parents who own their own businesses coming in to talk and the thing i found uh, so interesting was the questions that the kids asked in the q a the q a was almost as long as my talk was uh, and one of the one of the questions that was so interesting was Kid genuinely looks at me and goes, do I need to have a university degree to start a business? And I, I kind of went, so I've been speaking for a half an hour. You should know. But my simple answer to him was, um, are you in university now? No. Do you have a degree? No. Are you in high school? Yes. Can you start a business now? Yes. 
And the room was like, whoa. There's a lot of kids thinking that they have to have a degree. And one of the things I spoke about was the fact that a degree is one of the options. Our society has created the degree as being the be-all and end-all. Now, we have got so many people who, first of all, will not academically be able to hack a degree, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a worker bee and contribute to society in a meaningful, engaging way that rewards them with a great salary. Um, plumbers, uh, mechanics, ton of people who will still be needed in 10 years' time, and we just don't have enough of those people. And so I think you're 100% right that a lot needs to be moved down the food chain, and it's one of the reasons why um, I've just offered to a couple of different high schools uh, the same entrepreneur talk that I did, I'm going to go around Gauteng and do it at uh, high schools for free. What's the name of it? And to punt it, go. Uh, so the actual talk is called Swimming with Sharks. Uh, hashtag, you can do it, because that's exactly what it's about. Um, and I'm going to go and talk to a bunch of high schools and uh, try and get kids to understand the real world that they're not seeing. I mean, I look I look back at my high schooling, and the, the closest thing that I had to business reality was accounting now accounting has got nothing to do with business it's only got to do with debits and credits it's not about business and i have a look at this school and not only are they having an entrepreneur day but their teacher is teaching them about entrepreneurial people using case studies examples it's amazing so some schools are able to do that but not all schools are and i think until we are at a point where all twenty-eight thousand schools are teaching kids and that's it. That's the number we have, 28,000 schools. Hmm. And until all those schools are actually teaching kids something from a very young age about how to survive in this world on your own, because you can't be guaranteed of a job anymore, unfortunately, uh, until we're at that point, I think we've failed. Um, and that would be my success factor. We talked about success earlier. That would be my success. If we reach that point, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Round of applause. Clap it up. Yeah, just, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. It's just when and are it's we, frustrating. When are we going to get there, though? You know what I'm saying? So the one of the things I try never to do is go, when are we going to get there? Because if I did that, then I would be immensely frustrated at the pace at which things change. You can do what you can do, and don't stop doing it because you think about the bigger picture. So one of the things that I do, I do a lot of um, what's termed men's work and that's basically working on myself as a man to understand how I fit in the context of the world we live in and how to be the best man that I can be and, and the reason that I have to do that is because I've been brought up to be a particular type of man not only by my parents but by society and so I don't try and um, look at that journey as an end result I look at it as a journey so I can't be the perfect man I can just be the best that I am right now and it's the same I can't do this to all high schools in the country. So I can only make a limited offer to do 10 high schools in the next six months. But those are 10 high schools that will have something that won't have had something before. And that's the approach we must all have. So the kind of thing that you're doing with the uh, dojo. Dream, Dreamers Dojo. Dreamers Dojo. I love that. Dreamers Dojo. The kind of thing you're doing with that is the same. How many can I do in a year? And that's all I can do, but it will make a difference. It will have an impact. And I suppose, it, you know, it's, um, what's his name? Eric Kruger talks about accretion. Have you mm. heard of that whole thing? Yes. So it builds up time. It's like what Tony Robbins, he didn't just, w so Tony Robbins, like he feeds a billion people today, but he didn't go, fuck it. You know what team we're going to build, feed a billion people this year. And they no. did it. They did it with like a no. million and then it was 10 and it was a hundred. And so it, it no. exponentially grew from there, which I guess is the point. But I think what, what, what's really important for me, at least in the dreamers dojo, context that that there's legacy mm. left mm. it's not enough just to go 
do a talk yeah. and leave because so what kids are like they got then they're on Instagram and a minute later and then they forgot what you said yeah. do you know what I'm saying it's about what's the what's the and this by the way was a lesson I learned when we started this whole thing I met with a PR chap who um, does all the PR for the presidency and so he said to us like yeah well you know dreamers dojo blah blah and he's like yeah but what do you what is it what is it exactly? I was like, well, you know, we're going to do a, a str- I didn't have the answer. Mm. And he was like, well, here's the thing that worked, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. but it doesn't work now. Yeah. And he said, if, you know, if you want to get this, that any intervention funded, then you need to basically have a very clear structure around what happens on the first day, mm. then the second day, then the mm. third day, what happens after that. And so, so yeah. for us, it's around just the concept currently is this. And so anyone listening or watching right now, if you feel like you have a network and you can get involved, please do get in touch. But essentially, the idea would be on the first days that you expose these kids to what does exponential relevance mean as an idea? Mm-hmm. And then exploring technology, right? This is what it means for technology, etc. The second day is basically all about principles, human principles for an exponential time. Because I believe you can remain relevant if you have an operating system in your mind mm-hmm. that you can apply regardless of what's happening to you. And then as a result of applying these principles, which is what I write in my book, um, is about, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening outside of you as long as you can control your inner game. That's pretty much the thing. And then the third day is around actually hacking right um unique african problems and and mobilizing the entire education system of south africa getting them to submit teams of four it must come from a science maths engineering or business studies background and we give them real world african problems to solve it's supported with uh, ideally singularity university and their faculty members not america mm-hmm. their faculty members here so i'm talking to mick and company but basically the idea would be then that the winning team is actually funded, their business product is actually funded so that it can actually go into the real world and scale. And also as part of like a big price thing is that the team, the winning team goes to singularity in, in university to become a poster child of actually what is happening in Africa. Because if you address Tell us success stories, yeah, because you know, it's like, it's uh, another thing was said to me was like, yeah, but you know, what's interesting is like, they all come here, right? We don't go there. It's the thing. It's like 99% of it, like, it's, oh, well, Africa doesn't have any interesting technology, you know, like, uh, we must Mm. just ignore them. And so that's what you, that's what pisses me off about the realities, because I know what's going on in in the real world down here, you know, um, and that's the perception thing. It is, and I think that there's two interesting challenges that you face when you're doing this. The first is that um, many of the children will be hearing the things that you're doing over these three days for the very first time. They will never have heard of these things, these concepts, these ideas before. And so getting those home is is difficult enough as it is over three days because that's like mind blown. Uh, The second aspect, which is probably more important than the three days, is how do you now follow through on a consistent basis to embed these ideas and these ways of doing things and running a competition over three months, six months, whatever it is, is a great way to do it because it's the consistency over time that allows people to embed these things, believe them, understand them, inculcate them, and then become an entrepreneur or start to think entrepreneurially. Um, but you're 100% you know, parachuting in and just doing a three-day thing and then leaving. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's better to have that than not. But 
that's not what our country needs. Our country needs sustainable change, and sustainable change is always long-term. So the kids that are all the kids, right? So, and again, this is the Tony Robbins accretion idea, right? So you you run it once in every, like, three months as an example, right? And then every, all the 40 kids that come through, they become alumni. Mm. And then you run it again. Now you've got 120, mm. and then you've got – and so it becomes – again, it becomes an exponential faculty. Who starts to then push the agenda for you because, you know, it has to be bigger than you. And you like, yes, you know, do something rather than nothing. Absolutely. Mm. But whatever it is, is if you can work out a way strategically, you're a great strategic brain. But, you know, if you can work out a way for it to live beyond you, mm. do you know what I'm saying? It's mm. like that's what makes the difference. So mm. then they can break off and, be, and run their own. It's like, do you know what it is? It's what you mentioned, Ted, earlier. It's mm. the Ted model where oh, yes. you start small and then it becomes a, a thing. thing that's run and, 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 and self-organizing. That's the idea. And if you can get to that model where it's important enough to people where they totally buy into that and they're prepared to replicate that model for you, that's fantastic. And, and one of the ways to do it is to do it within the school faculty. So you get the teachers to start replicating that model, taking over that model, doing that kind of thing. Uh, and then hopefully the kids take ownership of it because ultimately – um, it's the youngsters who are going through this process that need to want to have it do it. And so a lot of that, a lot of thought has to go into, so what's in it for you? You know, it's all fine and well for, uh, 30 something adults to come into a room and say, this is what we think is important. Uh, what do the kids themselves think is important? Um, hence, hence why self organizing is important, that's, right? That, and, and for these yeah. kids to run it themselves, well, I mean, you know, it's not, it need, there's no one like, demographic that can you know enable this thing mm. it has to be self-organized it has to be structured it has to be managed properly also as you know yeah. it's the same thing with singularity and their little chapters and entrepreneurs mm. organization and their chapters you know it's almost like a franchise model where what you do is create the big umbrella stuff which you continue to deliver but the franchises are the individual schools who start their own chapter um, and they're they're driving because there's a, there's something there. Mm. So they actually maybe they make money out of it. Maybe their business is established within a month. Mm. And maybe that's one of the targets. You need to establish a business within one month that will start producing money. Mm. How do you do that? Well, here's an easy idea: start selling razor blades at school for those guys who've come to school and they haven't shaved. Um, do haircuts. Uh, sell your parents old clothes. Ask them first. Don't just sell their clothes without asking. So, just sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so build build up businesses in a very short space of time that start producing an immediate result because when people see results, they're enthusiastic. It's like weight loss. Don't pe put people on weight loss programs where in the first month they lose you know, 900 grams because they're, they're completely losing enthusiasm. So you're hitting a good point. It doesn't need to be tech. I'm no. saying it's tech because that's what uh, we do. Oh, that's where your heart lies. <clears throat> yeah, but, but no, that's actually not true. My, my heart lies with people okay. and making a difference. The application for, and I'm saying, if you know, so here's the thing: you've got different sort of nuances in this whole idea, right? The first one is to say, well, let's go tech, let's talk exponential. Mm. It's a buzzword. You can get easily funded. You can get mm. something like this off the ground far easier than if you're offering a uh, like a an informal trade type focused thing. So Couldn't you're going to more. you're going into like schools who, by the way, don't trust you. 
because mm. you're not the right color. Mm. And then you're standing up there going, well, we're going to teach you how to, s-. they don't give a flying fuck. And you'll be lo- like, as soon as you leave there, they're laughing at the, at the white guy who basically stood there and told them they could do this thing, which quite frankly, they don't believe. So then you say, well, even if it was delivered by someone else and it was an informal trade thing, which by the way, I actually think is more relevant mm. than the tech thing. It's just mm. that the tech thing is cool and it's sexy and it's, it's, it's an enabler. Yep. So, but when you're talking about the informal trade thing, that is so big. Mm. It is so big. Mm, and, and you know what? But, and they would be more exposed to that because when they're at the taxi ranks, when they're walking, you know, the 5Ks to school every day, mm. they are seeing the hawkers on the side of the streets. When they leave the, the tuck shop, the tuck shop lady there sitting outside the school on the streets corner and yep. feeding them like chips and stuff through a hole in the fence yep. that's what they're exposed to it's, it's entry-level entrepreneurship which uh comes from a place of must not from a place of i want to or can it's i need to be earning money how am i going to earn that money and i, I think that we also while we do have some of that south africa as as a, a country generally and i mean we're not homogenous but as a country generally we don't have the same kind of entrepreneurial spirit as say a Kenya uh, or a Uganda um, or a Tanzania. There's a much greater entrepreneurial can-do spirit. And that's part of what I love doing with talks like I did, was that I would love to be able to engender a feeling that anyone can think entrepreneurially uh, and succeed, even if it's uh, funding the other kid who's going to do the great idea because I have some money, but I, I don't have the know the know it how to do it stuff. So I, I think it's also important to teach the kids that this game of life has so many different parts, and you can pick different parts to play at different times in your life, and there is a choice involved in that. So don't if everyone's saying entrepreneur, entrepreneur, don't believe that you just have to be. You can be lots of different things. You don't have to just be one thing. In today's fast-paced world of technology, it's not enough to grow. You need to grow your business quickly. When speed is the new currency of marketing for technology businesses, you need to get to market in days, not months. Seven days. That's all it takes to get our tech clients from initial engagement to market. It is time to stop reacting and start dictating with the lightning strike from Digital Kung Fu. It's time to tell your story. Let's do Quote of the Day. All right, take us through this one. So, so it's it's interesting because uh, that's the expurgated version of the quote, the part that could actually fit on the board. Okay, well, let's put this on the so, board. Have you got the shot? Yeah. So the the actual quote is, uh, regardless of a child's biological parents, its upbringing belongs to the community. And so for me, deep. Um, for me, what that speaks to is it speaks to the fact that I am not the end result of only myself. I am the end result of my parents, initially the community and society that I'm within. I'm the end result of my kids. My kids come along and they impact and influence me. Um, my wife impacts and influence me, my friends, my business partners. Uh, and so I can never claim to be awesome because of just me. I mean, I am awesome. You're awesome. Lots of people are awesome. Most people are awesome. Uh, there are some idiots out there, but we're, we're not going to refer to them right now. In fact, there's a chapter in my book that's called Why Are So Many Managers Idiots? And it's a discussion about how is it that so many idiots end up being managers. Just drop managers out of there and just yeah. put humans in there. Humans. Let's be honest. Uh, so the, the point of the quote was that we are a sum of so many different things, and it's important to understand what those so many different things are. And if we want to be better, seek the things that we want input on. 
So if your community doesn't work for you, the one that you currently have, look for a different one. Look for a better one. Look for one that's going to give you energy. Uh, one of the things that I notice is that there are um, lots of toxic human beings out there, uh, people who are intrinsically negative. So no matter what happens, they will automatically default to the minus side of that conversation. I I look away from them. I silence them on my feeds. I don't befriend them. I don't spend time with them. I look for a different community, one that I want to be part of. And so for me, that's both a retrospective quote and a future-looking quote. Look for the people that you want to spend time with um, because those are the people that are going to help you be a better human. Human. Yeah, exactly. By the way, that quote talks to what we were just spending a lot of time on, right, yes. which was around the self-organizing community. 100%. And, and so if humans were guided a little bit more and given a little bit more support, I think we could be self-guided communities. I think our challenge is that we're not – we're not looked after within the context of our laws sufficiently enough for us to be self-guided. Humans, unfortunately, need a set of laws, and they need those set of laws to be policed. And if they're not policed, people go like nuts. And and that's one of the challenges I think we face in this country at the moment is there's a lot of the nuts things happening because we're not being policed. So we're not able to be a self-governing community because of that. Isn't the inherent – isn't that like a self – Policing community as an idea scares the hell out of me. I'm not sure if it's 100% possible. No, well, I mean, so we're watching, um, uh, what's that bloody zombie thing? Game of Thrones. No, 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 the zombie one. Season (laughs) 7. See, by the way, I'm in season Before season 8 comes up. With the walkers, man. What's it called? The Walking Walking Dead. Dead. So, like, so there's this scene, by the way, in this movie, in this uh, season. It's the most graphic, hardcore. It's where he basically, they meet a, Negan or Negan whatever and he takes that bat and he smashes the ginger in the head and then he kills the other dude and it's just like that's actually when I stopped watching that TV series but it's yeah well I mean my wife she won't watch it on her own so anyway so (laughs) so basically but I mean the idea though is that she said to me because she's fucking insightful my wife right so she'll be like she said after that scene she was like you know what this whole program you think it's about the walkers but it's actually got nothing to do with them it's got everything to do they're like they're just part of the like there's trees in the in like a like it's a fucking weird thing but like they're walking around so what and you think it's about that but it's not the whole thing is actually about human nature it's just about social construct and she said that if there was ever an apocalyptic mm. event right like like that it would bring out the worst in humanity right which is essentially a self-policing community of people who will just do whatever they want because mm-hmm. they there is no police there is no nothing there's nothing right so 100% so but that that's what scares me about it is to say well you know self-policing community like fuck under what context would that uh, ever work and it works under the context of if there are a set of laws in the country which are being policed then on top of that layer people can be more self-policing. So I'll give you an example of what I think self-policing should be. Um, if you're, if we have a lot more traffic enforcement going on, um, then people would automatically self-police and not go through red robots. I don't know if you've noticed now when you drive, how many people, as you are driving past them, have got their eyes off the road and on their hand. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, enough. so so we've we've made a couple of long distance drives recently, and the number of people on the highway doing 120 to 140 passing us on their phones. 
And if that's not policed, then um, people won't self-police. So there has to be self-policing within a set of guidelines is, I think, what works. If you naturally expect people to self-police, they don't. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things that I refer to uh, when Ingrid and I have these conversations is I always talk about three minutes. We're three minutes away from being barbarians. If everything falls apart, we are three minutes away from being barbarians. And you can see that in any country that has riots. As soon as police infrastructure, army infrastructure, security infrastructure disappears, three minutes and people turn into barbarians. So Everyone. Yeah, it's nuts. So on the self-policing thing, we were supposed to have a, a new client meeting on Monday and then it just didn't pitch and we couldn't get a hold of him. And I was like, where the hell is this guy? Like whatever. So then he phoned me in the afternoon and I said, like, hey, what's going on? You know, like what happened to the meeting this morning? He goes, well, I was on my phone <laughs> driving and the, and a cop saw me confiscated my brand new iPhone and gave uh. me a 2000 rand fine. Yay. So, so, the, <laughs> so clapping it up. So then he, I said, so then I said, so what? So I said, cool. Well, I mean, do you want to reschedule or what? He goes, no, well, look, I mean, I've got a long drive to, you know, wherever he was going. But I'll be in the car for the next sort of three hours. I said, cool. Would you like us to phone you? <laughs> so, and you know what he said? He was like, no, I've learned my lesson. So he started to self-police the behavior, right? Mm. Which is exactly mm. a funny story from but, this week. But the interesting thing about that is um, how many really expensive cars we see driving around which they all now come standard with the hands-free kit. And what's the most common sight that you see? If I had a phone, I'd do this. You go take mine. What, what are people doing? You'll see them driving around like this, one hand on the wheel, and this is next to their face. And they're driving a BM, a Merc, a Range Rover that has a car kit. Mm. What, what part of obeying the laws of the country are you not understanding? And that's part of self-policing. If there's no repercussion for doing something, generally over time, people stop doing it. But also aggravated policing creates the same effect. So too much policing or too great. Like sure, but in from America, where I sit, I'd rather have too much policing than the amount of policing that we have. From where you sit. But if you're Which an African-American sitting in, in America, I don't think, you know what I mean? Like they would disagree. Sure. But then you, you, that's not a case of too much policing. That is a completely different conversation which has to do with race in relation to America and its history. So I don't think that's about too much policing. I think too much policing is an example of, um, I don't know, Singapore, where you get fined for spitting on a pavement or you drop your chewing gum and Dude, you get they $200 will, fine. they will lock your ass up exactly. if they catch you. And like, you don't want to be like some ex at the Formula One Singapore Grand Prix and he passes you a joint. Like, do not you smoke that up, thing. You will end up in jail. Like, they will, like, as in life in prison. Yeah. For, so, yeah, I so see that would be overkill. Watch out that. And if we ever get a client in Singapore, we're not sending you there. <laughs> that would be overkill, and that's the kind of police state you don't want. But until we reach that point, I'm going to encourage m more policing because we just don't have enough. We haven't spoken about your book at all. <laughs> or very little. And so that's really remiss of me for not bringing all the points back to the book. Hey? So no, no, not at all. But let's let's do this. If there was like three things or three insights, lessons, or stories or anecdotes you want to, you want even one that's just really interesting. If you had, to, in fact, let's do that. Pick one because that's going to make you choose the best one. So th there isn't actually one, but the one one of the ones I like discussing the most is there's a, a chapter about a chapter about friction, and it's talking about human friction. The idea that people have is that we should all get along with everybody and sing Kumbaya 
and that's all great. And my attitude towards that is no, friction is fantastic, friction is normal, friction is required and very required in innovative spaces. Um, and one of the things, so years ago when, when I was studying, I did, a, um, I did a project on stress and stress management. And from that young age, I learned that everyone requires some degree of stress in order to operate optimally. Organizations require some degree of friction to operate optimally. It's how that friction is managed that is the really important part. And so if you've got a homogenous team of people who are part of a project team and they all think the same, they basically create an echo chamber. They all agree with each other. And so you're not going to get a lot of innovation in that environment. You would rather create a group that isn't full of creatives or full of worker bees or full of A players. You would rather create a group that is not homogenous, has different types of people with different views so that there is friction. You'd rather teach them how to manage and handle that friction because that degree of diversity in that group is where you get the best results. And so I refer to diversity and diversity is a really important part of friction because diversity is one of the things that leads to greater outcomes. There is so much research out there now that shows you that diversity, and we're not only talking um, male and female, we're talking about cultural diversity as well. All types of diversity produce better end results for businesses. The businesses who perform in the top quartile of all businesses, let's use the United States as an example, are those that are more diverse and that diversity is better managed. And so for me, that's friction. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with other human beings. In fact, it's perfectly natural. If we, do, if we agree with everyone, that's actually where the problem starts. So f- that's, that's one of my favorite things uh, to talk about. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Um, I particularly like the chapter on why are so many managers idiots. Um, and it, it, it's a great question because the way it has worked is the older you got, the more senior you were in an organization. So even if you were incompetent, you get passed up the ranks because you're just older. You know, you can't have an account executive being 55. By that time, he's an account director or a managing director. And so what happens is those people automatically go up the ranks, but they're not necessarily capable of dealing with either their job, their environment, or the human beings that they have to manage. Um, And so one of my concerns has always been within large corporates, because they are so large, they tend not to have a micro view on human beings inside the organization and how well they're performing. And larger organizations tend to have more idiot managers than smaller organizations. Hmm. Ingrid, do you want to come up here? So, everyone, welcome Ingrid to the show. So, yeah, come and sit here in the middle. I want to get me a new chair. No, 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 I'll just stand here. No, okay, well, here's your mic. Are you, are you sure? Yes, perfect. Now you're making us all stand. Oh, okay, yeah. no, no, I'll yeah. sit. <laughs> it is amazing how that works. Funny how she took your seats, eh? Uh, <laughs> so, hers and his, because I think this is a great point of departure to talk about this whole initiative. You're talking about diversity and ethics, and there's obviously everyone is getting into, um, you know, Me Too and that kind of stuff, and that the whole rhetoric and narrative, which has its place and definitely needs to be discussed. What is hers and his? What's this deal all about? So hers and his is basically bringing gender parity to the world in our lifetime. That is basically what we're aiming at. Um, what does it look like? Uh, it's really important to say that we're not naming and blaming men. I think it's, it's at, at the moment in the world out there, me too, even, um, men feel uncomfortable in terms of, Hey, it wasn't me. Why are you blaming me? I've got to step back. Now women are stepping forward. So there's a, there's a lot of that that's happening in the, in the, 
realm. Um, and what we do is we do something called cultivating connection. And it's all about finding the space between men and women and between diversity to work together rather than naming, blaming, shaming, um, looking at patriarchy as bad. It is what it is. Let's work with what it is to um, find a solution together. How do you and, even do that, though? <laughs> so, so one of the that's things a we, minefield. We, yeah, 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 it is. Deep. It's we, a we, journey. So you were speaking earlier about this journey that you take the kids on. So it's exactly the same journey to go. Okay, right. Let's have a let's shine a light um, on your unconscious bias right now that you've got that. Let's teach you some skills in terms of how you connect as humans and be curious about. Okay, I'm curious about why you want to do CrossFit or whatever it might be. So I'm not judging you. Um, and then through that, we can be more productive. We can have conflict the way Gavin spoke about in a constructive way um, and work together in our diverse um, fields rather than othering. And we were talking earlier about scale. How, how do we get this the initiative? Um, how do you get things to scale quicker and to more people? And that's one of the challenges that we have around gender diversity issues is that there are a lot of organizations out there trying to create um, – gender diversity, uh, but not enough of them big enough that have scale that can make a big impact. And so one of the things that we're working with is how do we do that? So we, we target corporates because there's a lot of corporate work to be done here, but we also do some stuff um, separately from that. So for example, we hold something called a co-gender circle where we get together with men and women in a room and we work through a whole bunch of stuff to get men and women to understand each other better. Because believe it or not, Men and women don't really understand each other that well because we're brought up in a world now which says, oh, we're all the same. Well, we're not all the same. So, so how, yeah. do we, how do we work together in order to understand one another better, to be more productive in all our interactions and relationships? Understanding, yet again, to what Ingrid said, is this isn't about picking on men, and we don't pick on men. And I have to add the caveat to that that – the world is a patriarchy. Men are still largely in charge of things. Uh, all you have to do is look at the JSE-listed companies to understand the number of women on boards of directors is minuscule. Um, the raping and the murdering is predominantly done by men. So men have to take some accountability. And at the same time, I'm not pointing fingers. That's not my gig. My gig is to say, let me understand who I am as a man. Let me understand who you are as a woman, and then how do I work with you so that you're not marginalized in whatever way you may be marginalized? Yeah. I wanted to tell you something really interesting. Um, in these monthly circles that we do, one of the things that we found was, did you know that men and women apologize differently? And it's only when we really? actually, yeah. Do they really? <laughs> yes, and we actually do it for different reasons. So, so, walk us, so, so when I'm having a tiff with my wife and I go, I'm sorry, how does she well, like walk us through the well, dynamic well, there? Okay, I'll go. Um, so basically men do it because they know that it needs to be done rather than their feeling that they, they, <laughs> they should do it, right? Um, and so you're, you're. It's true though. It's 100% true. <laughs> Women typically, so I understand that I'll be talking in generalizations, but this, this comes from research and our experiences as well. Women actually apologize to be in connection. That is something that we yearn for. And so we apologize differently to men as well. So men will say, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and then we go like, ah, oh, that doesn't work for me. Whereas women will say, I'm really sorry that I made you feel less than. That wasn't my intention. So there, there's a little, mm. there's a little tweak in the way that we actually say things. And what we do is we teach 
the tools of how to apologize properly where somebody doesn't turn around and say that your apology doesn't work for me. <laughs> And, By way of an example. and that's just one example of Are we going to so start doing ways, that in the office? So when Alexis is like, Matt, I'd just like to apologize. Um, what I really meant was. So what we're going to teach is you how to apologize yeah, first, and yeah. then they can follow your lead. I don't apologize. Okay. Yeah, but well, there you go. Right? And so that's that. the first challenge. <laughs> and so. <the> <laughs> And so that's one of the, what, that's one of the key parts is is that we actually celebrate with, with doing all the hers and his stuff that we do. We celebrate the differences between women and men. Yeah. We're not the same, and it's okay that we're not the same. What I need to do is understand why it is that we're different, so that I can deal with you in a way that's appropriate, instead of just dealing with you like I'm a guy and I deal with everything like I do. I apologized to you recently, Q. Yeah, he did. See, that was, real, right? that was legit, eh? <laughs> So you did a good job. She almost, and, and of she course, like, there's no questioning the power parity in this particular relationship at all. But not in not in that example, though. She was she had the power then. I gave her that because that's what was to your point that I thought it had to be done. It was it nagged me. Yes. You know what I mean. But it was, I suppose this is the point of departure, right? Exactly. Which is, are you prepared to apologize or not? And if you are, in what way? And what is your intention? Yeah. So that's the other thing that it always comes down to is, is your intention to actually put them down? I'm really sorry that you felt that way. <laughs> and, and, and you've heard that before. I apologize for you feeling this way. Yeah. Well, that's not really an apology, is it? But <laughs> often you'll hear people apologize like that. And you, unless somebody goes, oh, I hear what you're saying. I'm talking that way. I see you. I, 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 I cause and pain I, and I, for you. That's one yeah. of the other parts is when you tell somebody the impact of something that they've done mm. – it's a different level of interaction between human beings. So if, if you say something which you think is flippant and fun and it, it genuinely hurts me and I say to you, so, so that you're aware, that actually really hurt me. Realize that wasn't your intention, mm. but um, I'd prefer it if you didn't you know, do that joke again. Mm. Um, then there's a different level of interaction between the two of you and it becomes a little bit more authentic. Mm. And that kind of authentic relationship leads people to work better together. Yeah. So what we do is we basically teach skills. For the connection, because we know that there's an issue between um, diverse people. How is it? What we do is hers and his, but what we do is actually teach people how to listen, how to deal with conflict, how to apologize um, properly, and all those things. And the and the journey is around embedding that in your life. Mm. And the beauty about it is, whilst we have it in, uh, we do it in uh, corporates. Mm. It filters back down into pe people's mm. personal I was going to say, to be clear, this sounds like a couples mm. therapy thing. No, not no, at all. Not so at I'll, all. I'll give you an not example of something that we do in the corporate space, which um, you may think is a bit woo-woo, but it's incredible for giving people empathy. So some of the work we've recently done was uh, across ten groups of 120 people in total, and each of those groups sit in circle. So the first thing is. This doesn't happen in a boardroom. This happens in a circle of chairs, which is immediately group therapy. Right. <laughs> to and, your and, point. <laughs> and, and so the point for people is we always say you're going to be uncomfortable doing this work, but it not too uncomfortable that you can't actually take in what we're doing. Mm. And so one of the things we, we have done is we've done what we call a check-in at the beginning of each workshop that we have. And it's literally based on something called PIES, P-I-E-S-S. -S. So it's a physical intellectual, emotional, social, and then sometimes, depending on the space, a spiritual. Mm. And what that check-in is, is you sit and you have 30 seconds to do that check-in. So physically, today I feel this. Intellectually, today I feel this. And you use emotional words. And I can tell you that in some of those check-ins, people were checking in to say, 
My mother has been dying of cancer over the past six weeks. This has had this kind of impact on me. So emotionally, I'm feeling incredibly sad. No one in the room knew. That person had kept it completely to themselves. Mm. What that allowed for was people to have an empathetic view of this human and go, he missed that deadline not because he was being an idiot about it, but because actually his mind wasn't on his work. So we miss the human part mm. in corporates, especially large corporates. In a, in a smaller organization, it's easier for you to know everybody else. Mm. But in a large corporate, actually that connection, human to human, opens up a whole different level mm. of understanding. And the feedback that we've gotten from people is, I have had more interaction with my colleagues um, through your program than ever before. And I work so much better. We've got team cohesion. We've got more productivity. We've mm. got less conflict. So the actual sort of business benefits out of this have been astounding. We kind of figured they would happen because this is our gig. We kind of know what we're doing. But the organizations are sitting back and going, how are we getting more cohesion out of humans by sitting in circles? Mm. People are taking, as an example, the pies check-in back to their teams. So teams of accountants are sitting in their weekly meeting and having a pies check-in at the beginning of the week so that everyone sits there and goes, I get where you are. I get where you came from. I see why you're sad or I get why you're so jacked and enthusiastic. And it creates a different level of human interaction, much more authenticity rather than everybody going, I'm fine, thanks, and you? So when are you signing up? Uh, when am I saying? <laughs> uh, right now, I've signed up yesterday. Did you not get the message? But where where do where does one actually sign up? Where do they go? Here's his dot uh, Yeah. So the the easiest place is um, because we we post some cool stuff on there is facebook.com forward slash hers and his now, or send an email to awesome at hers and his dot One last question. Let's wrap this up. But it's for both of you. Why why are you doing this? Why do you do this thing? Because, I mean, there's plenty of other cool things you could be doing. Why do you do this particular thing, this diversity initiative, hers or his? Um, and, like, what gets you both out of bed in the morning? We do it for different reasons. Um, my reason was my first marriage was an abusive one. And so I, I – and that was physical and mental. And so I moved from there into doing women's work. And that from doing the women's work, Gavin spoke about doing men's work earlier – um, we found there was a gap between the women's work and the men's work and what is the space between us. So it is something that I really believe helps make the world a better place. Mm. Um, so that gets me up. It, it's every, every day. It's mm. an exciting thing to go and make a difference and change one person's um, view of the world. Awesome. I started doing this because I have three really important women in my life in this country and I have firsthand experienced the pain that they feel being a woman in South Africa. The catcalling that they've experienced, the sexual harassment, I, I get to hear about it firsthand. And it's not okay. It's just not okay. So what can I do? I can make a difference by getting other men not to do that stuff anymore and to understand that there is a different path, there's a different option, option for us to follow. And so I can do that on two levels, and one is at a in a corporate space where I can make a, a significant di difference in a corporate space, and then the other level is in a personal space where I can actually help men um, understand that being a mature masculine in today's world is not about giving anything up. It's about getting more stuff. Hmm. On that bombshell, Gavin and Ingrid, thanks for being on the show. Round Thank of applause, you. everyone. Great show. 
This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.